0: mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 21. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 21. We are now in our last final messages of the life and ministry of David. We have spread this out throughout the year and we've watched David as the little shepherd boy had been risen up to the court of King Saul. We watched that David didn't do a single thing to lift his finger to become king, but it was God that placed him to be king. Then we watched as he was a good king for a while. Then we watched the theme of Second Samuel be listed, and that is a theme of consequences, that People's actions, both good and bad, have lasting consequences. And for most of 2 Samuel, we have traced the consequences of one night in sin, and how it has spread, and how it has increased, and how there was many things set aside. Now we find ourselves in the book of 2 Samuel and in chapter number 21. Now these remaining chapters are going to be out of sequence out of order in time But there are important stories that did not fit into the narrative. Remember that most of 2 Samuel speak about the consequences and they're chasing and tracing the consequences of David's sin. These last several chapters are going through several different incidences throughout David's reign as king that don't necessarily fit that theme but yet are important nonetheless. And so we find this first set of incidences found in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 21. The book of 2 Samuel 21, and if you don't mind, look with me starting at verse number 1. 2 Samuel chapter 21, starting at verse number 1. There was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them... And Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement, that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul, nor of his house, neither for us shall thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, What Ye shall say, That will I do for you. And they answered the king, The man that consumed us and devised against us, that should be destroyed from the remaining of any of the coast of Israel. Let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the David took two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ea, whom she bare unto Saul, Armona, and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Michal, the daughter of Saul, whom she had brought up for Adrael, the son of Berizai. <coughs> the Melohite. And he delivered them unto the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord. And they fell all seven together, and they were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. And Risphah, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and spread it upon her, the rock, from the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven, and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. And it was told David what Risphah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. And David went and took the bones of Saul, and the bones of Jonathan his son, from the men of Jabesh Gilead, which had stolen them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them, when the Philistines had slain Gaul in gaboah And he brought up thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son, and gathered the bones of them that were hanged. And the bones of Saul and Jonathan his son buried they in the country of Benjamin in Zela in the sepulcher of Kish his father. And they performed all the king commanded. And after that God was entreated, for the land. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2nd Samuel chapter 21. The book of 2nd Samuel chapter 21 and notice the phrase at the end of verse number 1, he slew the gibeonites. We understand that pronoun he is referring to Saul, and with this, we're going to cover a specific incident here of Saul slew the gibeonites. Saul slew the Gibeonites. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. Thank you so much that we can trust you and that you're a God who keeps his word and that you would help us to be a type of people that keep our word. Thank you again for you recording this down. And We understand that sometimes these history things are a little bit puzzling looking at The history and why are these things here. But we know that all things are written for our learning. You've written it for our example. That we could written most of all. That we can know whom you are. And love you. Thank you again. Help as we explain this story. And apply the story. That we could see it very clearly. And that we would make steps in moving closer to you. Because of what we hear today. Again, fill me with your precious spirit. I dare not trust my own, my intellect, my own thoughts, my own abilities. I set them aside and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose that you would get your own work accomplished through your precious word. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, it it, reverses back in time to early within David's reign. Remember that David had reigned after King Saul was slain by the Philistines and King Saul's son Jonathan was also slain. David had ruled for a while and all of a sudden in the midst of it there happened to be a famine in the land. We don't know why it took David three years to finally say, hey God, maybe they're doing something here. But he gets around to asking God, God, why are we having this famine? What's going on? And God takes some time to explain what's going on. The very first thing I'd like to show you and remind you from the word of God is the history of the Gibeonites. The history of the Gibeonites. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in 2 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 1. 2 Samuel 21 and verse 1, the word of God says this. Then there was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them. And David sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Now in verse number 2 it tries to give a quick synopsis of the history of the Gibeonites, but if you don't mind, perhaps we could go back to where they're first mentioned in the book of Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. Now remember in the book of Joshua, we have the children of Israel that are now led by Joshua. Moses, God's servant has died, and Joshua is now leading the children of Israel into the promised land. Remember that Joshua and the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River and remember the river parted as the priest had stepped foot into the, into the field. Remember that the river dried up about 20 miles upstream and so everyone had known about the power of God and everyone was talking about it. They were afraid. And then Joshua went into the very first city. And they parked and they prepared for it. And the very first city they went was the city of Jericho. And you can imagine that story, if you remember what happened. That for seven days, the children of Israel were to walk across it. And walk around it. And we did the calculations, forgive me, I don't remember what it was. But it would take them about an hour and a half to walk across the city. And the only qualification there in that time was they weren't supposed to say a single thing. Could you imagine all these people for an hour and a half walking around the city not saying a single word? They also had to carry the Ark of the Covenant and they would follow them. So an hour and a half, the children of Israel would walk across the city, walk around it, not say a word, and then go back to their camp. The people of Jericho are looking down. What in the world are these crazy people doing? They didn't fire a shot. They didn't say anything. They just quietly marched around the city. Day one. Day two, they do it again. Day three, they do it again. Day four, what are these crazy people doing? Day five. Day six. And finally on the seventh day, they walk around it a couple times. And then they begin to shout for the Lord. And an amazing thing happens. The walls collapse. Now the walls of a city back then are not just thin walls of a building. But the walls of Jericho were about 20 feet thick. That's pretty thick. And so they march around the city. The people are watching them. And they shout. And the walls of the city just collapse. And open up. And the people are amazed. Because it wasn't the children of Israel that did it. God did it. Who's the one that opened up the Red Sea? Well they didn't come up with a great device. God opened up the Red Sea. Who opened up the Jordan River? God opened up the Jordan River. Who knocked down the city of Jericho the walls? God did it. And they begin to have a campaign. Where they begin to defeat everyone. And God's orders was to get rid of all of the Amorites, all of the Canaanites. They were all to be wiped out. Well, there was a group of people that said, "Uh, we don't want to be next. We know that God wants to kill him, so we've got to do something." And so they came up with a plan. Look with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Joshua chapter number 9. Joshua chapter number 9. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 1. And it came to pass when the kings that were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys, and all of the coast of the great city uh, sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Prezizite and the Hivite and the Jebusite heard thereof that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon had heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and Ai, they did their work wily. And they went and made as if they had been ambassadors, and took old sacks upon their asses, and wine bottles old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and clouded upon their feet, and old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision were dry and moldy. And they came to Joshua under the camp of Gilgal. Now what happened is that all of Canaan heard what Joshua did. And they bounded together. We can't allow this God to fight us. We can't allow Joshua to win. But the Gibeonites were different and said, no, not us. And so what they did is they decided they were going to try to sneak in. And pretend that they were a different group of people. So what they did is they didn't take their church shoes. They took... Old holy shoes and they took their clothes that were all moth eaten and worn out and they took bottles and made them all dusty and then they took old moldy bread and they made it look like they had been traveling for such a long time. And they come up and they give this story of how they live so far away and they heard about Joshua and we want to make an agreement with you guys. Please, we want your protection. We want to make an agreement with you. The problem was, is that the children of Israel were so excited that these people are surrendering that they failed to pray about it. They prayed, they failed to talk to God about it, and they made an agreement with Him. Notice if you don't mind, in verse number 14. And the men took their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them and let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. So what happened is that Joshua and the leaders of Israel made a peace agreement with the Gibeonites. We're not going to harm you. We're not going to destroy you. We're not going to harm you. I mean, your guys are surrendering to us. But they had God's order that they were supposed to wipe out all the Canaanites. And they failed to ask God but they made an agreement anyways. Now, it's going to be revealed that the Gibeonites were actually neighbors and part of the people that was supposed to be destroyed. But because they gave their word, God helped them to that. Now, fast forward to the time of Saul. Here is a group of people that are living within the Hebrew people. Now, they're not Hebrews themselves. In fact, they're made to be more of servants. Uh, They were supposed to be hewers of wood and Drawers of water. They were supposed to be servants unto Israel. But Saul in his zeal. Because we know he wasn't right with God. He looks at these Gibeonites and says. You know what? I think we're supposed to get rid of them. And so he began a campaign. To start to get rid of the Gibeonites within of Israel. The problem was. Is that the Israelites had already given their word. And Saul is going back on his word. So now, if you don't mind, as we got the history down, turn back with me to 2 Samuel chapter 21. 2 Samuel chapter 21. Now, as we come back, David is now on the throne and a famine hits the land. Now, because Israel is a desert, arid climate, they are dependent upon the rain. It's not lush and green like Green Bay and and Wisconsin is. That if they don't get rain... They don't have crops. And for three years it hasn't rained. For three years nothing has happened. David finally gets around and asking God. God, why is this happening? And God says it's because of the Gibeonites. Because Saul was slaying the Gibeonites. Because of what he did in the past. What God is saying is because Israel did not keep their promise. Israel went back on their word that God is bringing their attention that they have not kept their word and something needs to be fixed. Could you imagine this? The the Canaanites were all slated to be killed. The Israelites failed to ask God. And when they failed to ask God, they made a promise to these people. Now God is holding them to that promise all of these years later. God is saying you need to keep your word. The reason why this famine has happened is because this word has not been kept. You did not keep your promise. Do you know that God has a long memory and God expects us to keep his word? Very much so. So the next thing we see here is not only the history of the Gibeonites but we see the next thing how to get it right with the Gibeonites. So David goes and brings in the Gibeonites and says, what can we do to make things right? We, we want to make things right. We want to make peace. We want to make you happy again. What can we do? Notice if you don't mind in verse number four. And the Gibeonites said unto him, we will, not, we will have no silver nor gold of Saul nor of his house, neither for us shall thou kill any man of Israel. And he said, what ye shall say, that will I do. So David says, what can I do to make things right? And they said, listen, we don't want your gold. We don't want any money. We don't want you to kill anybody for us. David says, well, what do you want? What can I do for you? Verse number five. And they answered the king and the the man that consumed us and that devised against us, we shall be destroyed from remaining of any coast. Let seven of his sons be delivered unto us and we will hang them up. Unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. So they said, here, Saul's the one that did us harm. Just give us seven of his children, whether it's children or grandchildren. And let him pay the price for Saul. And David said, fine, I'll do that. Now he kept aside Mephibosheth because he made a promise to Jonathan that he would take care of Mephibosheth. So they took two sons of Saul Through one of his concubines. And then they took five of his grandchildren. Who Micaiah who could not have children of her own. Were babysitting and raising on someone else's behalf. So two of Saul's sons and five of his grandsons. They gave to the Gibeonites. So the Gibeonites took them. They went to to Gibeah and they hanged the sons there. Which now rises up a very interesting biblical character, a biblical history thing of Rizpah. The third thing I want to bring up to here is Rizpah, the brave mother. Notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 10. And Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it uh, for her upon the rock. From the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of the heaven. And suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day. Nor the beasts of the field by night. Now a- uh, Risphah is the mother of two of those boys. What a horrible thing she had to endure to watch her children to be hanged for the crimes of Saul. And so she takes a sackcloth and puts it on a rock so she can lean against. And for day and night... She's watching over the bodies that are hanging there. They left those bodies hanging there until God was pleased enough to bring rain. So they left them there as a display, almost as a sacrifice. So these bodies are hanging there. She doesn't want to see anything harm to her children, even though they're passed away. So when the birds start coming, she sees the crows and the ravens. She takes a stick and chases them away. And the middle of the night, she's keeping watch in case some lions come or a bear comes or something coming after this. And she's fending for them. And she's all by herself for day and night, taking care of them, watching over them till finally it begins to rain. What a brave mother. Mother watching after this well David is told about this and told what happens and as soon as it begins to rain showing that God has is that everything is taken care of the people have uh, made good on their promise to take care of the Gibeonites the rain is uh, starting to fall again he takes the bodies of those seven people that were hanged he goes to Jabesh Gilead who had rescued the body of Saul and the body of Jonathan and he buried them and he took care of them and honored them. And you say, this is a strange story. Why, what are we supposed to get out of this? Are we supposed to go hang those people? That No. What God is putting an emphasis on is keeping our word. God wants us to be people who keep our word. You know, we live in a place of America where nobody keeps their word. Nobody is true to their word. If they say, yeah, I'll be to church. And you kind of, well... Hope they do. We live in a place, remember back in the day where just a handshake was just good enough? You could shake someone's hand and you knew they were good at the word. Now you have to get things signed in triplicate and getting lawyers involved in order to force someone to keep their word. We live in a time where promises are broken all the time. You can't count on people to do what they said they're gonna do. But for God, he is always faithful. You see what God expects from you is what he demands of himself. God will always keep his word. God will always keep his promises. You take simple promises like John 3:16, the most famous Bible verse in all the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. Aren't you glad that God keeps his word? You could trust God that God is going to keep his word. When God says it. You could depend upon it. The problem with us is that. There are times that we can make promises to God. And then fail to keep it. For example, one thing that we try to encourage people is to respond to an altar. And there's something about responding to an altar that you're making a promise to God. You're making an agreement with God. And a lot of times, we don't need to make a new promise to God. We need to keep the ones we made before. But do you know that God keeps wants us to keep our word? The things that we said we're supposed to do, he wants us to to do it. Oftentimes people will get in trouble and they make promises to God. God, if you get me out of this problem, I'll I'll serve you. And God gets them out of the problem and they're no longer serving God. They're running away. Maybe some well-meaning person says, God, I'm going to read my Bible. And then they never keep that promise. God wants us to be a people that keeps our word. Now with that... Some people just don't know how to make decisions, make decisions at last. Because of that, we try to teach people, and if you don't mind, I'd like to teach you something that was taught to me that revolutionized my life, and that's how to make decisions for God, how to make lasting decisions for God. If you could allow me to have a, a small amount of liberty to give a testimony. As a young man who wanted to do what was right, there had been many times that the preacher would preach, and God would speak to my heart. Praise the Lord for that. And then I would come up and say. God help me. Help me. I need to do that. And then. Like most people. Get up. Walk out those doors. And it leaves. The next morning. uh, Next Sunday. I would come in. And the preacher would preach on the same thing. And I go up to an altar. And say. God I don't know what happened. Last week I said I was going to do it. and It it never happened. And What's going on? I want to do what's right. And then I get up. And. Walk out those doors and it leaves. I'm sure some of you may have experienced something similar of that. One day someone taught me how to make decisions for God. And it goes in three parts. If you're going to make a lasting decision that you're going to be able to keep. The first one is that it's got to be practical. It's got to be practical. That means it's something that that can be done. For example... Maybe you could be, relate to this. A preacher will preach on reading your Bible. Bless God, the Bible says to study his word, to read God's word. And so like a good person, I'd get up. Maybe someone's made the same thing. God, I'm going to read your whole Bible tomorrow. I'm so excited. I need to read your whole Bible tomorrow. Well, the problem was is that's not a very practical thing. You know, you could read your Bible at an average reading speed of 72 hours. That's all it takes. However, 72 hours doesn't fit in a 24-hour period. So I'm asked to do something that's not achievable. It has to be something practical. Something that I can get accomplished. Not only does it need to be practical, it needs to be (coughs) measurable. Meaning it needs to be something that can be done. For example, let's say that God speaks to me about reading my Bible. I can make a decision that says, God, I need to read my Bible and I need to be able to do it. God, I could read my Bible tomorrow at 7 o'clock for 15 minutes. Is that something that's achievable? Absolutely. Is that something I could look back and see, did I keep my decision? Absolutely. So it's got to be practical and it's got to be measurable. Maybe I've been a Christian for a while and I've already been reading my Bible for 15 minutes. But the preacher preaches and says, bless God, you need to read your Bible. And God speaks to me. But I've already been reading my Bible. But I can make a decision, God. From now on, I'm going to start reading my Bible at 7 o'clock for 30 minutes. Is that something achievable? That means people can respond and they can make different decisions personable to them. Which is the third thing. That not only needs to be practical, It means something that can be done, something that's measurable, that means something I can look back, did I keep my decision? I can look back after a week and say, did I keep my decision? Did I read my Bible at 7 o'clock for 15 minutes every day? Yes, I provide some accountability, but it needs to be personable. And this is where a lot of times people have a hard time. That personable means that I got to use personal pronouns, I, me, For example, there are many times that people are, uh, the preacher's preaching and he's waxing eloquently and -and so-and-so looks around and says, man, I wish Aunt Edna was here. Pastor really would let her have it today. Or maybe you're looking at someone across the room and says, man, preacher's really preaching at Bob today. Yeah, get him. But if you're going to make a practical decision where God speaks to you, it needs to be personable. I need this. This is for me. I need to do this. You see, if you assume that God is speaking to you and God wants to speak to you, that's going to help you. This is for me. What should I do with this? And now that you recognize it's for you, it needs to be practical, something that you can do. And we encourage people not just to say, I'm going to read the Bible for 15 minutes, but tell God when and where. Just like you set up a doctor's appointment. When you set up a doctor's appointment, you get what time, where, and who you're meeting with, right? Well, God, tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock at the breakfast table, I'm going to talk with you for 15 minutes. Is that something achievable? Absolutely. Is it something that bite size? Now, you may be at the place where you're saying, well, I just need to read three chapters a day. God, help me to read three chapters a day. I've been a preacher, and I've been reading my Bible for many, many years. I think God expects a little bit more than three chapters out of me. But I can still make a decision. God, help me to read for an hour. Help me to read wherever I'm at in my Christian life. Maybe it's about prayer. God, I'm having a problem praying every day. Can, I'm going to meet with you at 8 o'clock in the morning in my prayer closet for 15 minutes. That's something achievable. For a more mature Christian, I'm going to meet with you in my prayer closet at 8 o'clock and I'm going to pray for you for 30 minutes. You can learn to make a practical decision. Maybe at soul winning, you may be at the place, God help me to pass out a tract to a person every week. Is that achievable for most people? You could find someone to give a track to, whether it's the person at Walmart or the person at the gas station. It's something that's achievable. Maybe someone, God's speaking to them and working with them, and maybe they're at the place, God, helped me to pass out a track every day. But what we're trying to do is that it needs to be personable, meaning it needs to be for you. It needs to be practical, something that you can do yourself, something that you can achieve Then it needs to be measurable, meaning it needs to be so specific that you can look back and say, did I keep my decision? You know, anyone can say, I need to read my Bible more, but without making a specific decision, you're not going to read your Bible more. We're trying to help you to make decisions that will last because God wants us to keep our word. There's many times, many times that many Christians have made a decision and then it falls away. Well-meaning decisions, but God expects us to keep our vows. Now, some people go to the extreme that says God expects us to keep our vows. The answer is, never make a vow. Well, that doesn't help you at all. Because the Christian life is a series of decisions. You make a decision, to get closer with Christ. Then you make another decision to go closer with Christ. Then you make another decision to go closer with Christ. And God wants us to continue to grow with him. And how we grow is making decisions. So the answer is not to go away. The answer is to keep the decisions we make. And if we make decisions that we can look back, have I been keeping my decisions? Maybe there's just simple idea of keeping accountability. For example, someone hasn't developed the habit of reading their Bible. So they do their best, but they find a hard time of getting up at seven in the morning to read their Bible. Maybe they're having a hard time. There's nothing wrong with providing accountability. Maybe you got a husband or a wife. Honey... Can you ask me how my Bible reading is? That's a good thing. Pastor, can you ask me from time to time how many tracks I've been passing out? Praise the Lord, I have no problems with that. Sometimes you just need accountability. Maybe you have a computer that talks to you or a phone that yells at you. Read your Bible, read your Bible, read. Whatever works. But accountability helps us to keep those. If you make a specific decision, then accountability is easy. By the way, accountability is not a bad thing. It's a good thing to help us develop the habit of obedience to Christ. Remember this whole thing that is put here. It's a story that goes outside of the narrative that's already been in 2 Samuel. But God said, this is so important. I want to put us here. I want you to realize I expect you to keep your word. I expect you to keep your promise. And it's not as a mean, ogreish thing that God says, listen here, if you don't keep your word, that's it. But God wants us to reflect on him that he's a God who always keeps his word. And because he's a God that always keeps his word, we should be people that keep our word as well. Maybe there's a promise that you're having a hard time believing. Maybe you're struggling with something and you said this is what the Bible says, but I just don't know. May I start off by reminding you there's a God who will always keep his promise. You could trust him every time. For the rest of us, Maybe you don't need to make a new decision today, but maybe there's a decision that you've already made that you haven't been keeping. Maybe you just need to say, God, help me to keep that decision. Help me to be faithful to that decision that I've already made. And that the Christian life is a series of decision after decision after decision as we grow closer with Christ, deciding to follow after him.